0: Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us in this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Rabbi Bonnie Shapiro, and we'll be talking about his newest book, Judaism Without Tribalism, A Guide to Being a Blessing to All the Peoples of the Earth. This book investigates Judaism at its best and famous. It strips away outdated and harmful beliefs that have accrued over the centuries in return to the essential truths that are too often ignored in favor of tradition, tribal identity, or the claims of the powerful. Judaism, without tribalism, is a call to be a light unto the nations and a blessing to all of the people of the earth. It is a Judaism free from legalism and tribalism, a Judaism that refuses to serve patriarchy and power. Written by one of today's most respected and most unconventional Jewish thinkers, Judaism without tribalism is a manifesto, an invitation to completeness and a call for inner and outer spiritual revolution. It is also a deeply practical guide to living authentically, breath by breath, and day by day. Rabbi Rami Shapiro is an award-winning author of over 36 books on religion and spirituality. He has received rabbinical ordination from the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institution of Religion and holds a Ph.D. in religion from Union Graduate School. Rabbi Rami currently co-directs the One River Foundation. For more information about the foundation, you can visit www.oneriverfoundation.org. And for more information about Rabbi Rami, you can visit his website, which is Rabbi Rami.com. That's rabbirami.com. That's R-A-B-B-I-R-A-M-I i.com. Know that. I'd like to welcome Rabbi Rami to the show. Good day, Rabbi. Good day, Robert. How are you? I'm doing very well, sir. And how about yourself? Doing okay. Happy to talk with you today. Thank you, thank you. I'm I'm interested in, in talking about your newest book and um enlightening our listeners. I learned a lot <laughs> by reading your book. Um And uh, I'm not sure we'll we'll be able to cover a lot during the show. So um, I I guess I want to start with some basics, some, you know, uh, kind of common line, um, you know, ideas. uh, For example, what would you – how would you describe what religion is? Oh, that's (laughs) – I don't know how basic that question (laughs) is. It's pretty deep. I think that religion, at its best, now the word you know, comes from the Latin, religare, to unite, to make one. I think that religion, at its best, is a system for realizing your unity with, and then you can fill in the blank, the divine, the absolute, God, Tao, you know, whatever, you know, whatever words you want to use. That's religion at its best. Religion is rarely at its best. Religion, as most of us encounter it, is an organizational hierarchy designed to elevate some at the expense of others to make God difficult to to reach. You know, my theology is that God is everything, so that you're already one with the divine. You may simply not be aware of it. But religion, in many cases, tries to separate you from God, and then, and I don't mean this too obnoxiously, then tries to sell you a means to overcome the separation that religion itself invented. That's not, that's religion at its worst. Wow, yeah, I mean, and that is, that really sums it up, I mean, you know, really, really clearly. and, and um, You know, to me, you know, that basic essence, that that connection and the recognition of the connection, you know, to the divine. I mean, to me, you know, um, that there seems to be a reawakening of that and and a a recognition of uh, um, the lack of need for those intermediaries, you know, for the connection. Um, Yeah, religion, you know, religion at its best should be in the business Mm -hmm. of going out of business. You know, instead of saying, oh, this is the eternal truth and or this religion is, you know, here forever, a religion that that wants to be around forever is a religion that doesn't want you to realize the truth of your own divinity and the divinity of all reality. So religion should be trying to put itself out of business by helping people realize their – uh, unity with, with the divine. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and the thing is is that when once people recognize that, then there's really no need to go to a, a church or mosque or synagogue because you, you've got that direct line.
1: Yeah. Is there I, I,
0: this, I Well, I think there are other reasons to go to church, mosque, synagogue, temple, ashram, wherever you're going. I think there are other reasons. I think being in human community is one. I think the quality of the music might be a draw. Um, You know, there's there's a, a lot of interpersonal, positive interpersonal interaction that could take place in those settings, and that might draw you there. There's something I think intrinsically. Powerful and maybe meaning-making for people to be uh, practicing something together that helps them realize, you know, their, their unity with the divine. So chanting together, I think, my experience is, that chanting together is more powerful than chanting a lot. So, so there are reasons to go to those settings, but not to get some unique truths that only one religion has and that is somehow essential to your enlightenment to your salvation or you know, whatever whatever word you want. Yeah, yeah there there is a lot um, of power you know in that uh kind of unified focus you know that that um being in a, you know a church can bring um and you know you know i believe too that um for some people um, a, a structured way of um, making that connection, you know, be to a service of sorts, um, is for some people um, the, the best way for them to do, it. I mean, you know. For, uh, yeah, yeah I'm, not a, I'm, I'm not anti-church, synagogue, mosque, yeah. et cetera, but I think, yeah, for some people they like a more structured service. I mean, look, uh, one of the most powerful, I don't know what you call it, but but religious services I've (laughs) ever been to have been in the Quaker uh, tradition where nothing is said, really, there's no liturgy, you go in, you sit down, and an hour later, it's over, and just begin together. (laughs) This is true in various Buddhist meditation settings, but maybe more stark in Quaker uh, just being together in silence is a powerful experience. Um, I think I don't know who said this, but being alone together, you know, having other people <laughs> striving for the same realization is a um, is a comfort. I, I think so. Yeah, I, I'm not anti. I mean, when what, what I when I when I when I talk about Judaism without tribalism, I'm anti-tribalism, not tribe i an anti-tribalism, where your tribe is the only real tribe, you're the chosen people, you're the saved, you're not the damned, and, and all the things that certain religions say about themselves, that's tribalism, and that we can do without. Yeah, um, uh, that was the, the next kind of <laughs> term I wanted to, to look at. You know, the, you know, the idea of not being anti-tribalism, you know, and I mean, it, it's one of these situations that it seems that, um, the the tribal identity can serve many positive, just like the corn it can say uh, can serve many positive types of, of benefits, but also, um, if taken to an extreme, can also be contrary, you know, to, what one would want to achieve with religious belief. Um, so, um, now, well, is where is that difference, um, when it moves from tribal to tribalism? Is it that that idea of mine is better than yours? Yeah, I think that's certainly, and that may be at the heart of it. Uh, the idea that there's one right way, you know, when, say, in, in the church, according in the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. Well, that, I don't I mean, the way it's used, I don't think it means what people think it means, but the way it's used, which is to, to make a certain kind of Christianity exclusive, yeah, that's tribalism. When you imagine that only your group uh, I was at a conference years ago, but a conference among Protestant denominations, um, and the, the debate was uh, whose baptism is the true baptism. And everyone on the panel with one exception said, you know, if you're a Methodist, you're a baptized Methodist, and then you become a, uh, a Lutheran, we're not going to say your Methodist baptism was illegitimate. But the Southern Baptist guy said, no, if you're not baptized Southern Baptist, you're screwed. Now, that's tribalism. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's. you know, and it's so shallow that if it weren't religion, people would see right through it. So when Coke, you know, Coca-Cola used to say, um, it's the real thing, you know, what would they say? It's the fake thing? No, you go to a restaurant. I just saw this the other day. Authentic Indian food. No, put up a sign that says "inauthentic Indian food." I mean, it'd be absurd. So every Indian restaurant mm-hmm. claims to be authentic. You know, every soft drink claims to be the best soft drink. We and we look, we look at that. And we say, "Oh, that's just marketing. That's just BS." But when a religion says this, suddenly it's like, "Oh, no, that that must be true." So if you're a member yeah. of a religion, if you're not, then you think it's false, and you think and you think you're. Yeah. Marketing slogan is true, but it's all marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I I had to do that last. I uh, talked about the Southern Baptist side the panel because I I was raised Catholic, but I you know been I've been free of the the binds of dogma for a long time. But living in South Carolina, so I am surrounded by Southern Baptists, and, and it was one of the things. That um when I first got to the area, I found myself in constant um debate, you know, with the Southern Baptists about, you know, just the meaning of, you <laughs> know, meaning of life and their perspective. And, and it, I, I mean, I was um in one hand I was stunned by the fact that I was hearing such um Ah, what's the word, you know, people think, speaking with such authority and without question, you know, to me it, it just blew me away, and, you know, it was one of those things. And, and uh, uh, you know, uh, it's, unless you follow this particular, you know, religion or, or um, doctrine, then, then you're like you said you're screwed right? <laughs> You know, and it's um, and it's crazy I just think it's crazy it, it is it's absolutely insane I mean there I, I love the Catholic story and I, if you look at, at religions as stories you don't fight over them you don't fight over them you learn from them and I think there's so much to be learned from the Catholic story right. when I first moved to Tennessee I was shocked that if you mention Catholicism, people would say, unless they were Catholic, and they would say, oh, that's not Christian. And the bookstores would have huge Christian sections marked Christian, and then a tiny sub- separate section marked Mormon, and a third section marked Catholic, and then they had a little Jewish section or the Buddhist section. But there was one religion that was Christianity, and then Buddhism and Catholicism. It's uh, all, you know, all different flavors of the same heresy. So, it was just mind-boggling to me that that, that Catholics, let alone Orthodox Christians have never heard of, probably, but that Catholics weren't recognized as Christians. But that's tribalism. Oh, uh, I know, I know. Well, you know, and I, I have to mention, you know, in your book, one of the appendices, you, you put in Jesus, you know, because you felt that it was important to have that story there, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus is probably the most famous Jew that ever lived. And the fact that uh, Jews have given up on him, not as a Messiah, not as a Savior character, but have given up on him as a famous Jewish figure in history is really a shame. Because when that happened, when you strip Jesus of his religion, which is Jesus, as opposed to the religion about Jesus, which is various forms of Christianity. But when you strip Jesus of his religion, you miss out on what Jesus is saying. So I, I mentioned before the, the, in the Gospel of John, um, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. From a Jewish perspective, the I am, when Jesus says I am, he's not speaking Egoically, it's not Jesus, son of Mary. It's I am, the Echiah, that's revealed in the book of Exodus as the primary name of God. And, and so it, it's a level of, of consciousness. I, the I consciousness. It gets a little esoteric. But what he's saying is you don't get to, uh, awakening, enlightenment, except through the, the realization of I consciousness in yourself. When you can do that, then or, or doing that, the I am consciousness practices are the way of the truth and the life, and that's the only way to get to awakening. And those practices could be Jewish or Christian or Buddhist or Muslim or Hindu, you know, whatever it happens to be. But he's not talking about himself, which would be incredibly mm-hmm. narcissistic. So, when, <laughs> but you don't know that if you don't know that if you don't know Jesus or you, you don't, don't read about Jesus as a Jew and you read about Jesus as a proto-Christian because then you're really reading Paul and you don't have a clue what Jesus is about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, I I like reading that, that fantasy, you know, and and kind of getting uh, your perspective um, on Jesus and his role in connection with being a Jew. So, we kind of talked a little bit about what religion is. So, Judaism. Tell us, tell us what um, defines Judaism. Well, <laughs> we thought religion was a big topic. So, I, I would say, yeah, I, I would say Judaism is the way Jewish people over the last three, four thousand years have made meaning out of their existence. No, and their history changes. You know, our our history is in constant, like everyone's history, is in constant flux. But Judaism is the way we make sense out of whatever situation we find ourselves. So that's a very broad definition. You could narrow it and say the tools for meaning-making within Judaism are the texts that we call sacred, like the Bible, but there's more,
1: and the
0: holidays, and the customs or Commandments depends on what, how you understand these things. But the way that we live our life, the way we eat, the way we argue, the way we value argument, the way we read books or read sacred texts is very, I think, unique to, to Jews. So, it, it's, it's the civilization of meaning making. I think that's what Judaism is. And it evolves. My teacher Mordecai Kaplan called Judaism, um an evolving uh, uh, civilization. So, it, it is that. So, it's not static. But at its core, there are certain sacred, um, you know, things that we hold sacred to central, uh, certain central books, ideas, and practices that uh, change. Their content doesn't change, but their, our understanding of them changes over the millennia. I think you could say the same thing, you know, Christianity is the way Christians make meaning, and Buddhism is the way Buddhists make meaning. It's not unique to Judaism. What's unique to Judaism, and to other, you know, in the context of other religions, is the way they make meaning. And that's what makes studying religion, and even practicing different religions, so valuable. Because no, I would say,
1: no one way
0: is sufficient. You want to know... It, you want to know all the ways that make sense to you, but ultimately, just to go back to where we started, that you're already a manifesting of the divine, ultimately no way is necessary. But you don't get there until you worked through at least one way. You know, they're all, they're all <laughs> leading to a precipice. You know, some people give you the, the analogy, well, all religions take you up the same mountain and you all reach the same summit.
1: I think another way
0: to look at it is all religions lead you to the same cliff. And you have to jump off, and, you know, and say, okay, <laughs> I took this, these practices as far as I can go. Let me step off into the unknown and uh, see what happens when I'm, when I'm no longer shielded by a religion or by practice and see what, what my experience is. Ultimately, the experience of awakening to your true nature is an experience of walking off the cliff and, and being in a, you know divine fall or whatever you want to call it where there's no ism there's no ideology there's just the reality of um the divine happening in with and as everything yeah kind of like having a, a leap of faith or <laughs> a step of faith you know the yeah, right separate yeah. yes right. very but much. we have to separate faith uh, from belief right uh, uh, it's not, and I like the word faith, if we take faith as an attitude of of leaping into the unknown, but not faith as belief, which is a clinging to a specific idea um, about which you have no, you know, an idea that you hold is true, but which you have no evidence that it is fact Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it, to me, it's one of... Um, the, the recognition that, uh, you know, the, even though we don't know what lies ahead, there's a, an innate knowing that it's the right direction for us. Yeah, well, that, that's, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I have to think about that, but how I'm willing to buy that in all cases. But but it's, it's not knowing and moving ahead anyway because you have no choice. Uh, you know, even even if you decide I don't want to move ahead and I'm gonna to try to stay still, that's all that there's still there's no such thing as yeah. still. No matter how hard you cling yeah. to what you think is a permanent thing, there's always chance. So yeah, it's yeah. faith is an attitude uh that that is a welcoming of the unknown. Yeah, very much. Now uh um, you were um at a commentary to a book called uh perennial wisdom for spiritual spirit, spiritually independent, excuse me. So could you tell us a little bit about what perennial wisdom is?
1: Yeah, perennial
0: wisdom is the fourfold truth at the mystic heart of every religious tradition, and I would even say many sciences as well. The four truths are, number one, everything is a manifesting of the divine, and you can call it Like we said, you know, God, Adonai, Brahman, Mother, Tao, whatever you want to call it. Number two, humans have an innate capacity to know that they are a manifest, and they and everything else in the universe is a manifesting of the divine. Three, when you're aware that everything is a divine manifestation, you feel inwardly called to what the Bible calls be a blessing to all the families of the earth, that's Genesis 12, verse 3. You're called to be a blessing, and the way you do that is primarily, you know, sort of the standard compass is the golden rule. And then the fourth truth is awakening to the divinity of everything and being living your life as a blessing uh, via the golden rule. those two things comprise your, your highest yes. purpose as a human being. Oh, okay. Wow, Um, the fourth tooth. I like that. Do you you feel that um, the idea of the recognition of everything is a manifestation of of God? Do you feel that that is um, uh, one of those uh, is is that golden thread, you know, kind of um, among among the religions that. Um, I mean, it seems to me that that would be a key, like a basic understanding of of divinity and our experience. Yeah, I I do, but I think we have to be careful that it's it's the common golden thread among the mystics. That's why, you know, when mystics get together, even though they come from different traditions, there's no fighting. Now, there may be discussion about clarifying of terms, but everyone knows what basically mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Um, in 1984, I was lucky enough to be invited to the first Snowmass conference, which was a gathering of 12 people uh, that um, Father Thomas Keating, may you know, he rest in peace, that Father Keating uh, brought together at his monastery in Snowmass, Colorado. and. He had one person from each of twelve different religious traditions, and we spent a week together just uh I mean meditating together, praying together, and then discussing our experience with contemplative practice. And it it was self evident within just a few moments, or let's say an hour, if everyone got a chance to say something. But within a very short amount of time, we all knew that. We were all having the same experience, but articulating it through the, the different languages of our respective cultures. So, there so there was a linguistic, you know, separation which we valued. It was it was fun to learn how each person talks about this. But the experience itself, the the emptying of oneself uh, into the greater, you know, divine, sort of like the wave returning to the ocean. That's the experience that people were having. Um, whether they did it through centering prayer in Christianity or, you know, uh, mantra chanting in Hinduism, in it doesn't matter how you, what the practice was, the practices all took you to that place of um, self-emptying and uh oneness. Yeah. Yeah, that is from, yeah, I, you know, I like that. I mean, you know, the idea of um each person's experience being the same but only, but but as viewed and um organized through their individual belief systems. That they they grew up in. Yeah. So it's well, yeah yeah. Because the belief system gives them a language. So I have friends but. who they don't necessarily call themselves Christian mystics. I would say they're Christian mystics. And when they talk about their encounters with Christ, you can hear in their talk the same thing that you hear when someone talks about their encounter with Krishna or their encounter with the Divine Mother or their encounter with, you know, the, the Hebrew deity, uh, the name of which, you know, is unpronounceable. So, so the names are different. Mm-hmm. The language is different. But when they tell you their experience and, and what they feel afterwards, which is always a deepened, deepening sense of compassion and a call to justice without divisions not just compassion for your tribe, but compassion for all reality, justice for all beings, not just human, uh, the, the experience is the same and the aftermath is the same. It's people who yeah. don't have the experience who are attached to... The language, as if the language were sacred in and of itself, that, like, you know, I don't want to pick on the Baptist, but uh, there was a, a, it was years ago, but the head of the Southern Baptist Convention said, God does not hear the prayers of Jews. And he was, what his point was, not that God doesn't like Jews, it's that Jews didn't use the magic word, in Jesus' name we pray. And if you don't say that phrase, God doesn't hear you. So, if a Hindu doesn't say it or a Buddhist doesn't say it or a uh, Muslim or a Jew doesn't say it, well, God isn't listening because God only pays attention when that phrase is appended to whatever the prayer happens to be. Again, that's tribalism, but that's also no. the, the belief of someone who hasn't had the mystic experience where you realize that the, the divine... You know, if you're going through Jesus, eventually you get to the absolute Godhead, and all separation of Jesus, I mean, of Christ, Krishna, and you are, it's all dissolved. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That, that, uh, getting to that point, you know, and I think, (laughs) um, hopefully we'll have more people, um, experiencing that connection. And, And I think, you know, compared to, 20, 50 years ago, you know, I think there are a lot more people seeking that connection um, in, in unique ways for themselves than, you know, yeah, than, than in, in, in the past. And, and it, that I think is just going to open up to, you know, again, what you say. Once they yeah. have that experience, then you know, then you know. <laughs> so you know, it's like, okay, I right. got it. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that, those are the, I mean, some of those people belong to a specific religion, and some of them are the right. people I call the spiritually independent, where they don't belong to any one tradition, but they're willing to, to learn from, uh, and even borrow practices from different traditions. The question for me is, will we hit a tipping point of these people soon enough to avoid what appears to me to be like this global collapse of human civilization? I mean, if you look at the mass shootings, I think we've had 233 since the beginning of the year, January 1st. And if you look at the mass killings and you look at the wars, and it's not just Ukraine. There's lots of wars. If you look at the darkness that people are spreading, uh, will that that's taking us down into a, another dark age? The question is, will people who are you know striving toward enlightenment, that's a stupid way of putting it. The people who are you know the people we're talking about who have that mystic experience, will there be enough of them soon enough to turn the tide or will we um uh, collapse under the the weight of our own ignorance and fear? Yeah, yeah. That that's uh the question. Hopefully we'll we we'll get to the point that we don't we get beyond that tipping point. But um but yeah, looking at the world around us now, you know, it's um it's questionable. And a lot of people are questioning, you yeah. know, whether or not we're gonna actually make it through this period, whatever this period is. Um, um gosh, we're about half or past halfway through this show, um okay. rather So I'm gonna take a quick break. And then when we come back from the break, I wanna talk a little bit about um the, the views, you know, of, of Judaism and tribalism, you know, on the macro and down to the micro level. So we'll talk about that when you come back, okay? Sure, great. Good. Okay, everyone, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, bikeradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide books, nature photography calendars and 5 by 7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Block Talk Radio, iHeart Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms On the top of our homepage, our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest is Rabbi Rami Shusteroff. And we're talking about his new book, Judaism About Tribalism, A Guide to Being a Blessing to All of the People of the Earth. Again, you can find out more about Rabbi Rami by visiting his website, which is <laughs> rabbirammi.com. And then you can also find out more about the uh, foundation that he co-directs, the One River Foundation, by going to that website www.oneriverfoundation.org. Okay, with that, we're back, Rabbi Rami. i here. All Okay, so um, I want to talk just um, like I mentioned, you know, a little bit about the from the macro viewpoint down to the micro. So, for example, the macro, the the in the biggest sense, you know, what is the God idea, or the, I, I guess the, the idea of tribalist... Well, the God idea of tribalist Judaism is probably not so different from the God idea of other tri- tribalism uh, religious traditions. But the God idea in, in tribalist Judaism is that there is a God, a being, separate from the universe, who chose the Jews from among all the peoples of the world, to receive his, because it's male, so I don't believe that, but that's what you're asking me about, <laughs> this, this idea. So, to receive his uh, only revelation, which is the Torah uh, and, and the Talmud, the Jewish text, and to receive um, the, the deed to the Holy Land or the Promised Land in perpetuity. That's, I mean, boy, that's, you don't get more tribalist than that. You no, know, the Jews are the chosen, our book is the true book, and we have uh, a right to this land regardless of who's there, because uh, God gave it to us. That's the tribalist deity. And you can see something very similar, you know, a tribalist deity of, of uh, certain kinds of Christianity. Only Christians go to heaven. Only Christians are saved, and not all Christians, actually. So right. every religion suffers, suffers from that. But that's the Jewish yeah. one. And if, if, if you have a belief that's different from the churches, you can be denied some of their, you know, blessings. So they, you know, and it's like a... we oh, um, yeah, the case it. now where, you know, the Speaker of House Nancy Pelosi is being denied communion by her uh, church. I, I, I don't not Church with the Capital C, I don't know who made the decision, but local bishop, because she is in favor of, of uh, women's reproductive rights. So, yeah, yeah we, we don't have, Judaism doesn't have that kind of policy where you can deny something to someone. But, but there are other ways to, uh, you know, to, to impose your rule. But that, again, is, is such a major part of tribalist religion, is that there's a hierarchy. And it's usually men on the top uh who are enforcing their will by telling you it's God's will. But that you know, that's an assertive idea of God. Yeah. Yeah. I you know, I it's to me it's uh um, I I just get <laughs> I get thrown into a quandary you know, a lot of times when I you know, when we when I there's so much um Hatred and anger and division and and just um inhumanity, you know based on someone's interpretation of of their religion and i mean to, and to me yeah it just makes it makes no sense you know and, and I think you know we're probably getting to the point where more and more people are recognizing the um foolishness. Of, of some of those, both those but, you know. Yeah, it, well, you know, it depends. It, it depends you? if they're allowed to recognize the foolishness. It depends if they live in a community that allows for that recognition. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking of, I used to be a professor in, in the philosophy department uh, at Middle Tennessee State University, and we have a lot of Muslim students, uh, many of whom mm-hmm. are, you know, among uh, the, the women, wear hijab a uh, few wear a burqa, burqa, you know, covered from head to toe, but they're all getting a university education. Then you go and look what happens to Muslim women in Afghanistan under, under the Taliban. They think that women are not allowed to have a to get an education. So, you know, there's no religion is monolithic, but the more tribalist religions get, the more patriarchal religions get. And the more misogynist they, be, they become. So, yeah. so every religion is, is struggling with this, but, you know, the, the Muslim students that I knew at the university were, I don't know, I don't want to make it too romanticized, but were so grateful for being, for living in a country that allowed women to be educated and that didn't force them yeah. like they, they, they often do in France, you know, to give up the outward sign of their tradition. So so America is has got a lot of problems, but it's also got a lot of genius and a lot of uh, greatness to it. And you talk to people who, who are coming from countries where freedom is not on, on the agenda. Uh, they really appreciate right. America much more than the you know, people who are born here and take it for granted. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what we need is a, a worldwide ET appearance. So all of the religion, all the religions into uh, uh, self evaluation, phase, you know, kind of like what the pandemic yeah. did for for us, in a way. I mean, it's, yeah, but even in, in the, the pandemic, we couldn't. Even in the pandemic, that we couldn't pull together nationally, let alone globally. I think I, I think this is true. I'm not sure. Someone's going to have to Google it and see. But I think I heard this uh, on a podcast that Ronald Reagan said to Gorbachev, he asked him, if, because he mentioned E.T., if the, the the Earth were invaded by aliens from outer space, would we team up and fight them together? And Gorbachev said, of course. And then he said, okay, so now we have common ground. <laughs> so <laughs> no, They were just replaying uh, Independence Day, the movie Independence Day. And again, yeah. the same thing yeah. as outer you know, the alien invasion trying to destroy the earth, and then suddenly everyone pulls together, and we defeat the enemy. Of course, America leads the way because it's Hollywood. But, uh, when, COVID, when COVID happened, and, and it's still happening, there was no global right. pulling together, or national. In fact, it pulled yeah. a lot of people in this country apart. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things... So That I think um, it did was recognize, first of all, really highlight the interconnectedness of us all. <laughs> you know, and the fact that, you know, you couldn't stop at the border, you know, no matter how hard you tried, you couldn't stop it, you know, and, and that, you know, what happens, you know, over in China affects what I see in my grocery store, you know, or, or Mexico, you know, yeah. so. I mean, it was one. Of, it really highlighted that that one part. I think, and um, I think there are some people who maybe realize that on an intellectual level, but seeing it play out, you know, in day-to-day life, you know, kind of brings it home. Like we were talking about, you know, the, the idea of experiencing something versus just having a knowledge of something, and and then also it is the Connection with us to the earth, you know, and those very few glimpses that we had of, uh, you know, the, the earth adjusting to the lack of commerce, you know, the, you know, your waters clearing up and, you know, right. and, right. and yes. that was kind of coming yeah, up, you know, that whole whole connection. Yeah, if, if, we could, if we could reduce the human population to just a couple of million, the Earth would be much happier, but you know that that's that yeah. not going to happen anytime soon. Well, it might if the war in Ukraine a global nuclear conflict. But but know, yeah. I mean, yeah. climate change should be an et moment because it doesn't mm-hmm. recognize borders. Yes. It doesn't. It's impacting the whole world, not equally. I mean, some small island nations are going to go you know the way of Atlantis uh, and. And, and other nations aren't. But you don't see the unity that you might expect to see when the entire planet is threatened. Yeah. I mean, you, you just, you just don't. Yeah. So I don't know what it would take actually for humans to get over their tribalism. Um, yeah. I'm not sure it's, you know, I'm, again, some people do, some people can, these are the, you know, are, are the people that, I put my hope in that there's going to be some future for the species, but I don't know. People are yeah, well, strange to quote the doors. (laughs) We are odd creatures, but you know, the I I think it's just going to be a uh, an evolutionary thing, whether or not you know we you know. The, the evolutionary uh, extinguishing kind of timeline, I don't know, but, you know, the, I you know, I think tribalism is going to be around, you know, for a while, and, and in a way, um, you know, that's okay, you know, because for some people, you know, it's very important to have that strict structure for their life. Um, and yeah, yeah, but they, but just, they, just so just so we're not confusing anybody, I'm not saying that tribe is bad or that strict structure is bad. Right. But I'm saying that right. when it's my structure is the only structure and everyone else is going to hell, that's when it gets dangerous. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So now what would you, what do you feel is the world view of tribalist Judaism? I mean, right now we have um a lot of uh, a rise in Jew hatred. Uh, so, what 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 do you think the world view is? Um, so, are you asking what I think the world thinks about Jews? Yeah. What, yeah. 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 What, uh, yeah. The you know I mean the idea you know there's you have Judaism and then you have tribalist you know those who you know, take the the police system could be the one and only and above all others, so do you feel that the world you just in in general you know that there is a um a view of think the view is, is uh increasing that the, the tribalism jewish tribalism is, is on you know is on the rock, rock. What, well, what do you yeah, so I think, I think, it's, mm-hmm. I think oh. it's increasing in certain areas and not increasing in others. So, you know, in Israel, for example, and Israel is the best example because Israel is the only place where Jews have an army. Uh, you know, so they, you know, when, when, Jews can have all kinds of ideas, but if they don't have an army, they're sort of irrelevant. So, um, in Israel, Jews have an army. They can enforce whatever their positions are. But you you don't find a monolithic position in Israel. You find very liberal Israelis who are eager and anxious to to not just have peace, but to have uh, justice for the Palestinians. And then you find others who say, no, that uh, this is really all about Jewish survival. And if necessary, the Palestinians are collateral damage. And some of those people are doing it from a secular perspective. It's just about maintaining the Jewish ethnic Jewish ethnicity of the state uh, and they'll sacrifice Mm -hmm. you know the the Palestinians on that altar and some of them are no this is God's will this is uh, you know some people believe it's the beginning of the end times the coming of the Jewish Messiah uh, and some many many evangelical Christians think likewise it's going to be the second coming of the Jewish Messiah but that um, Mm -hmm. Israel has got to maintain uh, as a religious hegemony over the population, both Jew and non-Jew, as uh, possible in order to bring on the, the end times. So, so that's growing. When you can, when you can ha- have, I don't know, you want know, to call it apartheid or the second-class citizenry. You know, when you can have an occupation of uh, another people at. Uh, and somehow say, well, this is God's will, or this is necessary for our own ethnic survival, I can understand it, but I don't, I, I think it's just tribalist. There has to be another way. And, of course, Jews are not the only ones to do that, look at the Chinese and the Uyghurs, look at the Russians and the Chechnya, so, um, or even the Russians and the Ukrainians. So, this is just a human thing to, to do. Uh, the other question about anti-Semitism I think anti-Semitism is on the rise because people are anxious and the more anxious people get, the more they want to find some comfort in having someone to blame and for the last 2,000 years, Jews have been the persons to blame and and we can thank Christianity for that. I think (laughs) anti-Semitism, as we understand it, comes from two sources. One is Christianity and that was the basic anti-Semitism that took us into the Third Reich and made the Third Reich possible. But then the, you know, Hitler's anti-Semitism was also a racial uh, anti-Semitism, which um, the, the Christian anti-Semitism was not. So, um, you know, it's got that, that dual source. But that's on the rise um, because people are panicking and they've got to find someone has to be responsible. So you know for some people it's George Soros he's just a stand-in for the Jews no, or or it's just the Jews there's a whole uh, white nationalist replacement theory when they're chanting Jews will not replace us. they don't mean that Jews are going to out you know number yeah. the protestants the white the white population in America I mean Jews make up i don't know two percent or something of the population um, what they're saying is that Jews are a secret cabal, who are bringing in non-white people to take over the country, um, and they'll run those non-white people like puppets, because that's how they, you know, they manage the Jews to be
1: puppets,
0: um, puppet masters. So, so, yeah, that stuff is just increasing, and it's, you know, if you, if you bother to look for the Jew hatred material on the Internet, you can just get swamped. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't have to look for, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, right. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh well, I want to find out from you what you feel is the, well, the most egregious thing and the most important thing that Judaism has offered the world. Well, let's start with the egregious <laughs> you know, and, and uh, the positive. Yeah, well, the egregious thing is, as we've talked about it, the egregious thing is that there is a God who, pr- who has, Preferences, uh, you know, with regard to, to countries and with regard to peoples. I think that's the most egregious thing. Um, mm-hmm. the genius of Judaism, and, you know, people obviously would argue this, especially Jews, because that's what we do, they argue about these things. But I think the genius <laughs> of Judaism is its honoring of doubt and argument. Uh, Amos Oz, Amos Oz, uh, famous Israeli, Liter- uh author wants to find Judaism as a civilization of argument and doubt and and that is for the last two thousand years, if not earlier, you see Abraham arguing with God in the book of Genesis. you see um, uh, Jacob wrestling with God in the book of Genesis. I mean you have these amazing uh, i don't know debates between uh, a Jew and, and the, the creator of the universe. And that carries over into rabbinic Judaism so that the entire structure is one of argument and you just challenge one another. And the, the idea is not the answer, it's not like there's a right answer. In fact, there's the Jewish pedagogy, Jewish educational uh, principles, the primary one, just quick in here elu, the elu elohim HaIm, which means your opinion and my opinion, even though they are diametrically opposed to one another, are both the words of the living God, if we're arguing, you know, to make the world safer and safer and more just and compassionate. They're both the words of the living God. So it's not like one of us is right and one of us is wrong. It's that it's the argument itself that is sacred. And I think that is brilliant, that you go you no. go into a classroom, in, in the United States, you go into any classroom, and it's about finding the answer. But in Judaism, mm-hmm. it's about sharpening your capacity to question. And the answers yeah. are all temporary. That, that's why in the Talmud, it records everything that they ever said, the rabbis ever said, stuff that they passed, they didn't pass, you know, if they were talking about laws. And the, the reason they did that, they said – was, look, this this is the, the answer for today. Next year, the question might come up again, and we have to have a different answer. It no longer fits. So let's just keep everybody's opinions in the book so that we're not reinventing the wheel. We can say, okay, we've tried these. We've thought about those. Let's see what else we can come up with. So the yeah. Jewish penchant for, for passionate, sacred argument, we call mm-hmm. this um, – Look at Shemayim, arguing for the sake of the holy. Um, that to me is the, the brilliance of Judaism. Great. Well, um, we're almost up to the end of the, the show, um, Rabbi Mami. but I did want to mention, you know, um, in your book, in, in there's a appendix that you had that's called Advice for Congressional Rabbis. And I just kind of chuckled as I was going through those because it was like, so, this is definitely a kind of, uh, things to keep in mind. Now, one of them was shrink your synagogue. <laughs> now, giving advice for a rabbi to shrink the synagogue would be so, I would think, you know, contrary to what goals may be when it comes to, um, a, a congregation. Yeah, I know, because most people want to have a huge congregation. Uh, but if, if you go into a synagogue that can seat 700 people and they've got 75 people on a given Friday night or Saturday morning, you're wasting a lot of energy on a building that's only being used once or twice a year. So, you know, just don't do that. Shrink it down to the right size. Um, I mean, those the, the, the I was a congregational rabbi for 20 years. So these are all just things that occurred to me from my own experience. Uh, and some from the experience of my friends who are also congregational rabbis. But, um, they're, they're all meant to be taken seriously and lightly at the same time. Uh, I understand. Never eat during congressional meal, or congregational meal. <laughs> I laugh about that. Yeah, that's just good sound advice. <laughs> um, when it comes yeah, to yeah. You know, so people walk up to you and they ask you serious questions. And if your mouth is full of whatever you're eating, right? Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's you can't answer. It's, it. not it's awkward. <laughs> so yeah. yeah so I, I would never eat during a congregational meal. But then I did suggest you walk around with a drink, you know, coffee or tea or soda or water, and so that when people ask you a question, you need a minute to think about it. You can you can nod vaguely <laughs> and then and then take a sip of water to get your your head uh, you know to wrap around the question. I'm that's, that's, that's really good, that's a good, I love that. Well, um, this is really those a true diagraphic. So, 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 so what, what do you hope that uh, people are going to take away from reading Judaism without tribalism? What I hope they get from the book is a sense of the real core genius of, of Jewish civilization and the, and how to take that genius and apply it to their lives. Without uh, burdening themselves with the baggage of tribalism, which turns a lot of people off. Yep. Yeah, well, that's good. You know, I I found the book very easy to read. You know, and um, oh, also okay. uh, it, in the beginning of the book, you say that the book to ponder. You know, rather than you know just kind of read um, through, and it does. It provides a lot of questions for one to ponder. So. Um, Rabbi Rami, thank you for your time today. I I really enjoyed it. Hey, Robert, time. thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed it as well. Thanks for having me on your show. You're, you're very welcome. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Rabbi Rami Shapiro. We've been talking about without tribalism, a guide to being a blessing to all of the people of the earth, and again, you can find out more by visiting his website which is RabbiRami.com. And everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show, and until we meet again. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Me. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.